Welcome into the official. Tonight, we have a great show for you, of course. And it's going to be a little bit different. So, you know, we've been giving you names of players weeks after week after week. Three stars, sleepers, high-end guys, busts, all that stuff. And tonight, though, we're going to focus on just kind of a general discussion on what we've learned over the last two years doing this. Um, really, the third year. You now, this is like the third class we're really working on uh, is 2024. So kind of three years into it. What have we learned and uh, some tips, maybe some tricks that we do that you can use to evaluate your own players um, and just kind of have a, a little discussion here. Um, so not as many player names, You're not going to get the sleepers like you might normally do, but we will uh, kind of peel the curtain back and talk about the process. This is the official. <laughs> Good evening. You'll notice I only have one co-host here. David, welcome in. Glad you could make it. And uh, thoughts to Matt. Uh, I don't think he's got anything super serious going on, but couldn't make it tonight. Uh, hope everything is is going good. Glad you're here, David. We're ready to have a little conversation on uh, things we've learned along the way. Yeah, it'd be nice to have a little one v one here, a little casual conversation, and just do a little info dumping, huh? Little one v one. I would rather be wide receiver in that case because they always win the one v one. All right. Well, before we get started, real quick, um, gotta shout out to uh, Homefield. And tonight, I actually have a Homefield shirt on. You'll see this is Slippery Rock. Um, you know, a storied actually football team back in way way back in the day when college football started. Um, I've always thought they were a cool name for a college, and uh, they have this vintage looking shirt. So I got this one from Homefield. Um, and they have teams like Slippery Rock all the way up to UGA and everybody in between. So go check them out, homefieldapparel.com. They've got these vintage soft shirts, uh, pants, um, hoodies, hats, you name it. All the stuff you've got to look great for college football season coming up. And if you've never bought from them before, um, Campus2Canton is your promo code for 15% off your first purchase. So go check out Homefield Apparel and get yourself a Slippery Rock shirt or Colorado School of Mines or Hawaii, whatever you want. Um, also, of course, check out campus2canton.com. That is our parent website. And we've got all the tools and features that you need to really dominate, whether it's, you know, betting on Saturday, campus to Canton leagues, even NFL dynasty leagues, all that content is there for you starting at $2.99 per month and working your way up from there, depending on what kind of package you want and what kind of uh, bells and whistles that you'd like. So campus2canton.com. All right had to do my promos but we're ready david to talk and uh you know this is supposed to be just a discussion we're going to talk about things we've learned along the way and i said in the intro you know we've been doing this this is i think our third full recruiting class in 2024 that i'd say we've really you know evaluated with our process and that process has changed over time but one thing i wanted to lead off with is that you know at the end of the day we get excited about three stars and sleepers and everything. But at the end of the day, college football is top heavy. And I went through Campus to Canton's top 10 C2C players at each position. So quarterback, running back, receiver, 
uh, quarterback, running back, receiver, tight end. So I guess four positions there. And so out of 40 players that I looked at, 17 were from five schools. Now there's 68 schools in power five. So 17 of the 40, which is approaching 50% of the top players were from only five out of 68 schools. That's only 7% of power five. That's Ohio State, Texas, Clemson, Michigan, UGA. Does that ring a bell for you? Does that sound right? Or is that even a little bit shocking that almost half of those 40 players are from five schools? It's honestly more than I thought. I mean, I've seen some blue blood studies and stuff, and I knew it was pretty high. But yeah, even that seems like high. Right. I mean, it, and this is, you know, this is only the offensive skill positions. This is only for fantasy. So it's a little bit different than saying, you know, top NFL prospects or things like that for, for an entire position group. But, you know, for our purposes, at the end of the day, the blue blood still went out. Um, I think I already mentioned about Ohio State, Texas, Clemson, Michigan, UGA. Those are all absolute stud programs. Um, three of those four made the playoff last year. Clemson's won a national title and been to the playoff multiple times in the last 10 years. And then Texas is Texas. I mean, it's the, it's the flagship school and the best state for recruiting. So they're always going to have talent. Not as much win-loss success lately. But those teams don't surprise, you know. And so Ohio State having five, they've got two receivers, two quarterbacks in the top 10, and a running back. They're just recruiting offense like crazy. So, you know, I think the point of this is that Despite the fact that we love to look at the G5, we love to do all this stuff with three stars because I do think there's value there. But at the end of the day, Ty should go to a blue blood program and we should not fade guys, you know, with no really good reason going to these schools. And I'm talking to myself here. I mean, I faded like Brandon Innes a little bit this past year um, going to Ohio State. I might look back on that and say I was so dumb. But, you know, when the tape doesn't always wow you, sometimes you probably just need to, like, Carnell Tate's one. He's already popping over at Ohio State, and I don't think we really liked him that much. Um, but he's already lost his, like, black stripe. He's, like, blowing people away in practice and already looking like, you know, the next guy after Marvin Harrison. So we should probably trust those evaluators as well. And that's kind of what I take from that. And I'm kind of embarrassed to say, like, I thought, like, I had Carnell Tate as my wide receiver 10. And that was me, like, hedging a little bit. And apparently yeah, he's just like a, the 10. yeah, apparently he has, like, the highest football IQ in the history of the world. Because that's all I say with these, like, practice reports and stuff. Mm. Like, he never makes the same mistake twice and all that stuff. So it's, like, that's definitely a part uh, of the scouting process I need to get better at is, like, trying to figure out, you know, who's got the the football IQ and stuff like that. Cause like his, his physical ability and his athletic traits are like, they're good, but they don't like jump out at me. Yeah. I think that's a great point and a good segue. Honestly, I wanted to bring that up at the top of the show. Uh, just to say that like, no matter what I need to even remind myself, like, look, Ty goes to Iowa state, Texas, Clint, all these stud schools. But um, you bring up football IQ. And I think that's one thing we are not great at knowing much about. We can watch the film. We've got all these peripheral metrics, things that you and Matt have worked on, you know, various models, digging into, you know, the strength of schedule for these teams that they're playing on and market share, all this stuff. At the end of the day, though, it's really hard to know how a guy is going to transition to a, a 
very large upgrade in talent and competition. And so like, you know, whether it's mental fortitude, uh, whether it's work ethic, whether it's football IQ, those are very hard. Um, and I, you were telling me, you know, in front of the show, I think it's worth our listeners to, to kind of understand you and Matt are kind of trying to work on that a little bit. What are you guys, uh, what are you guys doing on that front? Yeah. We're, like we, we obviously agree that intangibles matter. I think we all know that like the person itself, it matters, their story matters. Um, so I think we've been like, I'll just say like the first year I came on pretty late in the process in the 2022 recruiting class. And for me, it was just like, all right, let me just check these highlights real quick, put pop a grade on there. Um, and I kind of roll with that. And then like the second year I was like, all right, let's just, what else can we do? It's like start looking at production. Uh, so we have like all these crazy production metrics um, and we get somewhat of a signal for quarterback. We, it's really, it's really brutal. Like Matt had been grinding so hard you know, I call it the R squared grind and he just, he got it up to 0.13. And it's just like, I don't know. It doesn't, it's, it's just not super high. I have a signal there. Um, but like for running backs, like fantasy points per game, um, that gives us a pretty good signal. Um, but even then it's kind of weak. So it's like, okay, we, that was like year two is basically looking at tape and production. And now this year it's like those two things. Plus like we're trying to figure out, uh, basically like comb through any interview we can find um, any articles we can find just like all this stuff and we're, we're just adding to like a player journal basically and we're trying to any like tidbits any like quotes that are interesting to us maybe we find some like red personality red flags stuff like that um, like in retrospect there was some on there was some on Chris Marshall just I won't get I don't want to like dog a guy on here or whatever and talk bad about an 18 year old but there were there were actually some like uh, red flags with Chris Marshall as well, but like just trying to figure out um, just the player in general, like, and, and, and I'm talking like small stuff too. Like when did they start playing football? Um, are like, are they late to the game? Do they transition over? So are they like, you know, are they showing enough promise relative to how long they've been playing and, and stuff like that. So there's a lot of interesting things to figure out and just really get an understanding of the player overall. I think you bring up, you know, these are great points and it's, it is next level. And I love that you and Matt are always like cooking up things in the kitchen back there. Um, but I agree that like tape can go so far, but you know, we, we as evaluators on this side of the, uh, uh, the, you know, the screen, if you will, we don't get access to these players. We don't really know. And it's very difficult. These, uh, these college teams, you know, they spend time with these guys. They have relationships with these players for like a year or more. A lot of times it's, it's probably two years worth of um, relationship. And um, so they know these players really well. And, you know, we don't get to know them. But I think that it's not a bad idea to just like if we can even get a slight idea of, of IQ, even what coaches say about them. Or, you know, what their own high school coaches are saying about them or their, you know, their their seven on seven coach or whatever. Um, like you said, Colonel Tate, like if we could have known, like, dude, I'm telling you, this guy is uh, just like a savant when it comes to football. Do not bet against him. Like things like that would have helped because we knew the athleticism wasn't blowing us away. Um, and it just it kind of helps color in the lines here. I just. You know, like you said, you don't want to write a guy off or say, you know, we, we are not in the business of calling any players like, you know, uh, you know, bad guys or anything like that. But 
it would help us if we could kind of identify players that might have a little bit of trouble, you know, and, and not every story is the same. Some guys flip around high school to high school to high school, and there's very valid reasons. Some guys do it, and it's a little bit concerning, uh, especially the fact that in college you can also do that. And usually guys who transfer multiple places in college, they are not ending up in the NFL. I mean, it, it's just you look back. One-time transfers, okay, we've seen it happen. But um, it's just not really a recipe for success. Like the really good players stay, play their time, and go um, other than – quarterbacks which you know there's only one starter so sometimes that can change but and I'm not even saying we haven't figured out but I think we're just trying to think of other things because it is an entire picture these are human beings with multiple facets to their personality and multiple facets to who they are uh, and it's not just athleticism and we it would be way easier if it was because we'd just be like all right 22 miles an hour great uh lock and loaded but those guys bust. And then we're like, why? How did they bust? So, you know, I just want our listeners to understand that we're like doing our best, trying to look at every angle, leaving no stone unturned. And we haven't, we don't think we haven't figured out yet, but um, just trying to be innovative and think about things. Um, so you also mentioned a little bit of, did a guy, you know, when, when did he start playing football? Was it last year? Because that could mean there's a lot of upside. Has he been playing only football since he was five years old? Maybe he's a fully developed prospect by this point. So talk to me about that trajectory of a player, what it means to you. And then, um, you know, what do you think about like multi-sport guys? Is that anything that you're, you know, really weighing these days differently than maybe three years ago? Yeah, these are these are things that definitely add to the story. I was actually just reading. I was actually looking at like some um, profiles from like former and like NFL quarterbacks that were successful. And like for instance, like Ben Roethlisberger, he actually didn't start playing quarterback until his senior year at in high school. Yeah, wow. um, and then of course he went the G five route and ends up winning you know multiple Super Bowls. But he was actually it, there's just this like these weird parts of the story where he actually started out playing wide receiver because he was stuck behind the coach's kid who's the, who he just played his kid at quarterback, you know? So it's just like, there's these weird development. So then he gets overlooked, you know? So, um, but yeah, we can talk about the multiple multi-sport thing. Just um, on the top of my head, I just, it's, it, it's funny. Cause like there's guys that you don't think like these NFL quarterbacks are way more athletic than I thought. Like I'm talking guys like Tony Romer. You don't think of him as like, like any sort of crazy athlete. We're talking about a guy that in high school, he played baseball. He was like a real good golfer. He's like a scratch golfer. He played on the tennis team. Um, <laughs> he, he played on the basketball team. He actually broke the record for most points at, at his high school. So it's like, he's doing, he's like performing at a high rate, like performing really well in multiple sports. He's just good at everything. I mean, same could be said for like Sam Bradford, a guy he's just like, you know, what I mean, he went what did he went one overall, right? But mm-hmm. even in the NFL, he was just kind of like a a lot of it was injury based, but he was kind of like a middle of the pack starter. But like this guy's another scratch golfer, played played hockey. He was like a super high level hockey player. Apparently, some of his coaches they thought that he could go pro in hockey. Wow. Um, he, he, he I don't know. It's just it's he also played baseball too. I think so. Um, I think that. There could be something there, at least. I think that the be- we want the best athletes, uh, and I don't think that you always 
you don't find the best athletes. I feel like with all this, like all these traditional um, testing things like forties and, and vertical jumps and all that. It's like, I, I like looking at guys that can just play that are kind of a natural in everything they do and are good at kind of everything they do. Um, so that is something I'm looking at is multi multi-sport guys. Um, because there, there was a tweet from tracking football. Uh, I kind of came across it randomly recently. And it, I think it was from the 2022 draft that 90% of drafted players were um, multi-sport athletes in high school. So, I mean, at least at the very least, you you know, they're, they're going to be competing right? in track. That's like the most common thing at, at the very least. You, it's interesting because like a lot of the fast guys do track because they're fast, but a lot of the slow guys just avoid it, I feel like, uh, even though they should probably be doing it to like try to improve their speed. But um, so I think that's something to look at. And I guess my other theory on that was basically, um, you know, if you're not if you're if you're doing all sorts of different sports, you're not spending so much time on football but if you're all if you're already like highly ranked or, or pretty or relatively highly ranked and you're still like and given you've only spent so much time playing football like that's pro- that's pretty impressive so maybe there's like more of a maybe we can project more and and assume there's gonna be more development down the road uh so it's just a lot of theories i don't really have answers for um it's just kind of that's kind of how i operate just theoretically and I'm just trying things and thinking about things as much as possible to, to try to understand these players. Yeah. I mean, I, it totally makes sense that if a guy has not only focused on football and then gets to a point either in college or most of the time it's going to be college occasionally in the NFL where it's only one sport. I mean, it's theoretically plausible. They have a higher upside because they've, there's untapped things there. Um, I also am totally with you on the multi-sport thing because You know, we talk about athleticism because it's something we can measure and it's better to have it than to not have it. And we do concern ourselves with that in this in this space for recruiting, especially. But, you know, you and I have talked and Matt, we've talked about, you know, we send each other these weird tweets. There's so many things that come out about Patrick Mahomes and how of just a, a freak of nature he is in so many ways. You know, we've sent tweets about uh, like uh, some video about like the curvature of his spine or the ability of his of his spinal cord to twist. Um, We've talked about his curvilinear motion, like he's faster in a half circle than he is in a straight line. Weird things like that about Patrick Mahomes that allow him to do transcendent things on a football field. Um, And that's just being good at like if you are good at some of those weird things that I've just mentioned, you're probably going to be good at everything. You pair that with, with instincts, um, just general sports instincts, the ability to read a situation in a split second and make a decision in that split second as well. That's going to be good for all sports, basketball, baseball, football, whatever, um, body control, all that kind of stuff. That's very hard to measure in like a 40 time, you know, or even miles per hour. A lot of guys can run fast in a straight line. Um, but instinct, the ability to read a situation and react to that situation with body control, you know, is something you're probably not going to be able to measure uh, in any test. But potentially a surrogate for that is just being really good at everything because it's probably a lot of instinct and just natural ability to have that body control to read and react and make a good decision in, in just fractions of a second. Uh, that's totally hypothesizing, but I mean, it kind of makes sense. Like, I think it's a surrogate a little bit for maybe intangibles, a surrogate a little bit for, 
you know, just overall body makeup and composition, which is something that like we have a really hard time measuring. I mean, you know, even if we had a full medical exam, it'd be hard to measure it. Like the best of the best, which is are, are what we're looking for, is just sometimes unicorns. And Patrick Mahomes is, and he was a three star. Like, I'm not sure we yeah. could have figured it out. I've gone back and watched this high school tape and I'm like, I, what? I want to say that I, I would have figured it out. I don't know. I don't know. He was okay. So he was like a super high level baseball player. And that's another interesting thing to think about at quarterbacks. Cause I feel like they're, they're more natural and, and throwing from different like angles and like, um, you know, sidearm stuff awesome, like that. Yeah. Um, but something I came across recently, I didn't actually know this. Um, Mahomes didn't start playing football until his junior year in high school. And there you go. He was completely focused on baseball. He wanted to be in the MLB. He flips over. I, he was convinced to play football as a junior. And if you go look at his tape, I, uh, yeah, a lot of it's like off script. The arm talent is obvious. His his numbers were monster. He had monster numbers. Like it we would actually. Have, yeah, I mean, those are would, all things that like we could have maybe we would have figured it out. I know. So this guy just steps on the field and just puts up monster numbers in Texas. And and I'm saying his numbers would have dwarfed like anybody in this current class. I'm pretty sure. Wow. Uh, so it's just like those things are like, all right, this guy's just starting to play football and he's already dominating. Like, what could he be? Well, apparently one of the best of all time. I don't know. So it's like, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not going to say I would have figured it out. I would have said. I, I, I think like he would have made high. our three star list. It sounds like I've gone would... back and watched the tape. You're right. I mean, the rocket of the arm, that throwing motion, that's just very quick and from multiple angles. It is evident. Um Obviously, hindsight's a little bit easier, but, you know, it is evident. You can see it there. <clears throat> um, all right. Then I wanted to also run down a few things that we've talked about just, you know, but you never know when it's someone's first show or someone that, you know, forgets or hasn't listened to us in a while. A couple of things that I could rattle off. I mean, number one, you mentioned QBs being good athletes, the guys that you may not even have expected. So what's the what's the QB rushing market share that we shoot for something that you kind of came up with. It's been a working theory for a few years, but I don't think it's really let us down yet. Uh, what's that number that you're looking for in high school? Yeah, it's, it's an arbitrary number. Just it's 10%. Um, and this isn't really talk. This isn't talking about like college performance. There's plenty of good quarterbacks in college that, you know, didn't hit 10% in high school, but it, it it's mostly like there aren't any good NFL starters that, uh, didn't hit 10 percent so like the, the the biggest thing right now that we're, that we're going to be tested on is cj Stroud because yep. i think he topped yep. out at like 8.9 or something like that like he's obviously and he was close. atrocious runner in college i mean you know yeah. he was negative 80 yards in one year i mean just like he didn't run and he's not a runner and it's fine but he didn't run in high school either so yeah he that'll be a nice litmus test um and we kind of reverse engineered, or you kind of reverse engineered that. You looked at all the NFL guys, you're like, none of these guys had under 10%, you know, in high school. Doesn't mean anything. So we kind of like, we already took the guys who made it that far and reverse engineered it. We'll see if it holds true, or maybe CJ Stroud is a unicorn. I guess we'll see. Um, one thing that I have learned a little bit uh, working with you guys and just over the years is that like the length of a throw is not really telling you that much about arm strength. Uh, a lot of times we get excited when guys, you know, bombs at 60 yards downfield, but it's a rainbow ball. 
And, you know, frankly, there's a lot of guys that can do that, especially when you're talking about, you know, college and then onto NFL, like every guy can throw at 60 yards. It's more of velocity um, to like cross field. Um, and Felix has mentioned this. I know we've all talked about it, but like cross hash outs, deep outs are really one of the throws you can really tell anticipation and velocity on those deep outs. That's an NFL type throw. Uh, and if guys are doing that, especially kind of with ease, at the high school level, I think it's something that's kind of how I measure arm strength. It's not just like the bombs away, um, which I think many people still kind of look at that and just like, wow, he threw it really far. Um, you know, then there's some easy stuff. I'm not going to put a running back very high up. This class might be different because I think this class is fairly weak. But in general, you know, 221 miles per hour. That's I want at least those two in high school to get really excited about potential NFL upside. Now, I know we've talked about like 230 and 21.5. That's a different category of player altogether. That's like elite, but at least 200 and hit 21. I mean, are you under 21? I mean, does that, is that like, I know it's at some point you do have to have an arbitrary cutoff and we're not saying 20.9 is impossible, but like when you start getting guys into the low twenties, you almost write them off like 20.2 as it's as a max speed at running back at least uh, yeah i'm not gonna like write completely write somebody off but so we actually have a 40 matt has like a 40 calculator that we've we've he put together so that people will have a better understanding of what this means but like for i think generally speaking for a 200 pound player that runs 21 miles per hour he should run around a four or five or, or less and that's kind of I know people always make fun of the speed score zealots and stuff when it comes to running back, but like we definitely, like it's relatively important, I feel like. And, and it's a good starting point, especially for guys to get on the field pretty early. At least we saw that in the last class. Yeah. Like, hey, that's just generally where it was, but, um, and we just know that size matters for running. Like there's no, I don't know. I wish there was a way around it, but like BMI and, and size and all that stuff, it's, it's, Everything I take everything by a case by case basis, I suppose, but I do, and that, that's always at the forefront of my mind. I'm always thinking about those things. I think for running back, and we'll talk about receiver here in a minute, but I mean, I think for running back, it it is a little bit of an easier position to evaluate because there are some pretty clear thresholds that you can rule out a lot of guys. And you know, when we're talking about the high end, we're talking about recruiting, we're talking about the first two or three rounds of your freshman draft. I'm shooting for NFL upside. Now, at some point, you just start saying, look, I'll take college production. I don't care. But like the really blue chip guys, you do want that NFL upside. And so I have a hard time, you know, even if a guy's super duper fast and whatever, if he's, you know, 185 going into college, 190 even. And that's the other thing I think I learned is like you can't really dream on a 25, 30 pound increase in college. Uh, I think Chris Moxley may have looked at it, but like the average is right around 10. I mean, 10 pounds. So that means you got to enter college at 200 to get to 210. Um, they, I mean, they because they shed some weight, they add muscle, but like it's a net plus 10 or so. It's not like you can dream on like, oh, he entered at 185, but I'm sure he'll be 210 by the time it's all said and done. Like that's just not probably not going to happen. Um, and so I do want at least 200. And then the other thing I'll say for myself is I think – I, I might overvalue receiving at running back. I mean, it's really nice when these guys line up out wide and they show us the receiving skills. But 
you know, again, if they're like 185, 200, 190 pounds, it doesn't matter. I mean, they'd have to be so elite at that, and which I don't think is something we can really judge uh, how we're doing it, like truly, truly elite, you know, to make up for it. So I think I probably need to pump the brakes a little on receiving uh, and just really judge a great running back. And then if they show some receiving chops, then yeah, I mean, bonus. Like some guys catch some passes, even if they're not elite receivers. So that's something that I'm working on myself to maybe not overvalue that so much. Um, and then wide receivers. How about this? I mean, Matt's green name is big wide receiver guy. I think we all used to want the next Calvin Johnson, six foot four, 235 pounds. First of all, those are super duper rare. And second of all, they're very, very rare who are actually good athletes. So have you come down a little bit on what size that you're worried about for receiver? Yeah, I've definitely come down on that. Those are the guys that definitely used to trap me quite a bit. They probably still will, honestly. They still like I'm fully expecting to get trapped by like, Cordell Russell. I'm just hoping <laughs> that he's like I'm hoping that he's like freaky enough to like like you have to be in the NFL, you have to be super skilled to like be successful at receiver. Um, there's just like a s- small percentage that can just be so freaky that they can get away with not being like a great, like Des Bryant is a guy that comes to mind. It wasn't like, I don't remember him being like a great route runner. He's just like yeah. a super freak. It's just like, there's just not many of those types of guys. And so part of me is hoping that Cordell Russell is freaky enough to like, if he doesn't develop as a, as a route runner that he could eventually make it. Um, but at the same time, I'm like, please, please develop as a route runner. But, um, yeah. but yeah, I think we're looking more like the game is more spread out. Everything's in small spaces. We're looking for little, like smaller guys seem to be doing a little bit better. And um, I, I kind of like mid-sized guys a little more that have, that have good change of direction and, and quickness, short area quickness. So that's, that's kind of where I've, I've been leaning in general. Yeah, and I think, like, my cutoff personally is, like, I would like around six feet, but, like, six feet 180, six feet 185 is just fine. I'm not necessarily needing much over six feet. When you start getting under six feet, especially listed, like, 5'11 listed might actually show up as 5'9 and a half. You start getting the smaller, smaller. So I think I listed, which you know you're probably getting the, you know, a little extra. I think about six feet 180 is kind of where I start getting excited. Then lighter than that or shorter than that. Not like I'm going to write a guy off, but that's kind of my ideal. Whereas probably three years ago, I'm looking for 6'2", 210. So that's, very, you know, that's changed quite a bit just for me. Um, well, I see the time here. We could probably keep just chatting for a while, but we've, we've hit, we're coming up on half hour. Want to hit a couple commitments here. Um, but I think that was a good discussion. And hopefully our listeners took some stuff from it. Uh, and, you know, can work it into their own evaluations and drop some comments there at the bottom if you agree or don't agree with what we said uh, down in the YouTube comments there. Um, all right. So the, the biggest guy I think to commit is Nate Frazier. We've talked about him quite a bit running back out of California, committing to UGA, coming all the way across the country to go to the best team in the country. Uh what do you, I mean, you know, Matt just like writes guys off and goes to UGA because I mean, the depth chart's so much. I think he potentially fills a, a unique role as a smaller, well, he's not even that small, right? He's like 210, 215 now. So I don't know. I don't know what to think of this. Yeah, I think uh, 
for the CFF side, it's frustrating. I thought that he would go somewhere. I was hoping he'd go somewhere else that's not so stacked. Um, but like we 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 just talked about it. Like you want these blue blood players when it. So basically, you just stash him, and then he'll have his turn and uh, probably be in a convinny most of the time. But then he has a three down skill set, and yep. this class is relatively weak. Like so, I can't just tank him. I like you can't because I mean, who else are you going to even put above him? Is the thing no. Because and we have to prioritize NFL guys. I think he's an NFL guy. I feel way better about his profile than a lot of other guys. So it's just like he's gonna make my tier two. Like I had to do this with like Richard Young last year. I, I like Richard Young. I like Haynes a little more. Um, you know, going to Bama, they always get all these good running backs. So it's just like he's probably not gonna have tons of production in college, but I still feel like he'll make his way into the NFL and maybe he becomes a starter at some point. So yeah, I mean. It, well, Nothing I can really do except for I might move him down a little bit because ideally I can get a guy that's that produces on the college side and the NFL side. So maybe yeah. I will tick him down a bit, but he's still going to stay pretty high. Yeah, I mean, Georgia's got Chauncey Bowens, who's a three-star, but people seem to think he's athletic for size. And then Nate Frazier, and they also have Dwight Phillips, who I think is going to wind up kind of a running back gadgety type player. He's only 170 pounds, so – Kind of three running back-ish players in this class. You know, Roderick Robinson last year, tough spot, but, you know, they'll probably feed three backs like they have been, to be honest with you. And and I agree, you're going to get some production. And with injury, maybe you get a couple games where he's an easy starter in college. But, you know, ultimately, that NFL upside is is there. Then we've got um, Gatlin Bear. We've talked about him, I think, last episode, maybe. He, he did commit to Boise State. And we'll check back in a few years with Gatlin Bear, super athletic, uh, but we'll see, you know, what he looks like when he takes the field in what twenty twenty five, maybe twenty twenty six. Of course, we have to talk about speaking of blue chips, which Alabama has kind of slid a little bit down the ring. We got to talk about Amari Jefferson, um, a wide receiver, one of these bigger guys, six feet two hundred listed, and he kind of looks it on tape plays for extremely small school in Chattanooga. I think a small private school. What do you think about Amari Jefferson going to Alabama, getting that, you know, that sweet, sweet Alabama commitment? Yeah, it's another blue bud. I think that, listen, like Bama, they, they also want depth too. So it's like not every guy they get is going to be a stud. And I think he's got a, he's got good size. He's a good athlete. Um, He's like a high-level baseball player as well. Um, you love that? I don't. He's like a yak guy to me. I, I haven't watched him a bit, but I just remember just thinking like, okay, he's just basically a yak guy, um, which is good. I mean, it's good to have yak, but he didn't seem very well-rounded to me. And I, you know, I don't know, Bama. He he's kind of in that same bucket as like Rico Scott from. He's also in this class, and then Jaron Hamilton of last year. It's like ah, I kind of like these guys, but like you have to be really good to like really stand out at Bama. So it's like, mm-hmm. as far as CFF production, I don't know. But since he's going to Bama, like, yeah, I could see him getting drafted at some point. So it's... Yeah. Well, uh, and a yak guy at 200 pounds is nice. A lot of the bigger guys are, are often not additionally yak guys. And I refreshed my memory a little bit with him. He does have some, you know, some acceleration. He's got some pretty nice moves with the ball in his hand. Kind of an interesting player. It's tough, though. I mean, super small school in Chattanooga. 
you know, just the competition bad, but he had like Georgia offer, Bama, Tennessee, Penn State. I mean, all your best schools were after this guy. So um, I'm going to have to relook at him again. And then finally, I think a guy worth talking about is Frankie Arthur. I think he's fairly, I mean, he's like a top 15 running back for me in this class, going to UCF, who's really quietly putting together a very, very nice class, probably their best ever. I think that could, that would maybe be easily. Gus Malzahn is getting it done over there. And so I think that he's their second running back in the class. I think they have Stacy Gage as well, who I really don't think is going to do a whole lot. So Frankie Arthur's kind of interesting. I already liked him. And I mean, for CFF, I think he could be a guy who gets in the mix pretty quickly. And they have Jordan McDonald, who we liked last year already on campus, who was kind of a size speed guy uh, at the G5 level, although now they are Big 12. Any other thoughts on Frankie Arthur? Yeah, the landing spots. I mean, it's really good because, yeah, I think we initially talked about Stacey Gage on our uh, 2024 look ahead, and he was like in the top five of running backs, and we we're just like, I don't, really, the heck? I don't yeah. know why he's that high. Like, I think because he was at IMG at the time, so you just have to, like, apparently you have to put him in the top five. <laughs> but um, so I'm not really, I think he's better than him. And, um, you know, you see, uh, Malzani plays fast and they run the ball a lot. So yep. that's what that's what we want for production. Yeah, and I think he's like uh, hashtag actually good, you know, based on his tape. He he actually ranked uh, rated pretty high for me, so that'll be an interesting. And then I don't know how to, you know, this will be another thing that we talk about. I think over the next few years, how do we gauge this like new era of P five? I mean, is UCF still should be, you know, is that is Cincinnati, Houston, are these G fives, or do we really need to? you know, kind of elevate them. And I think going back to what I said at the top of the hour, though, it's really not any P5. I mean, if you really want that, like, stamp of approval, it's the Blue Bloods. And then after that, you know, you can do some deference to, like, technically P5, like your Vanderbilt or Maryland, you know, schools like that, Botech, UCF. But it's really – they're not producing NFL talent the way that, like, these other schools are. So I'm not sure it matters that much when you get down there if it's G5 or P5. But um, anyway, well, good discussion. David, thanks for joining. Hopefully we'll be back intact next week. I think we got a mock draft coming up sometime soon. And, uh, you know, we'll have some other good stuff on the docket. Um, good show. This has been The Official. Thank <laughs> you.